This podcast is sponsored by Skylight Frame. Mother's Day is almost here. What are you getting her? Something that shows you care. Something that makes her feel loved. Something that won't stress you out. Something like the Skylight Frame. The Skylight Frame is the perfect gift. It's a touchscreen photo frame your whole family can upload photos to from wherever they are in the world. It's a way to share with her all the moments that matter. It sets up in seconds. You can even make sure that it's already loaded with photos when your mom opens her Mother's Day gift. And her Skylight Frame can hold thousands of the treasured photos you share. It's an easy, heartfelt way for mom to stay connected with those who matter most. It really is the perfect gift. Now, as a special Mother's Day offer for our listeners, get 15% off your purchase of a Skylight Frame when you go to skylightframe.com slash easy. That's S-K-Y-L-I-G-H-T-F-R-A-M-E dot com slash easy. Get 15% off your Mother's Day purchase now at skylightframe.com slash easy. Welcome to Happy Class. This is a special bonus series of the Live Free Creative podcast, where I, Miranda Anderson, give you a little bit of an inside scoop into my Master of Applied Positive Psychology program at UPenn. I am going to spend the 2022-2023 school year diving deep into the science of well-being, answering the question, what makes life worth living? And I'm excited to share little bits and pieces along the way with you. So whether you're interested in what's it like being in graduate school as an almost 40-year-old, or if you, like me, are interested in living a little bit better life, I hope that you'll enjoy these quick, thoughtful insights as to the things that I'm learning and what I think about them. Hop into my backpack. Let's head on in to happy class. Welcome back to Happy Class Week 22. This week, I'm back in class, in person. When this episode airs, I will be in Philadelphia on campus at the University of Pennsylvania, enjoying a delicious falafel salad from Goldie's Falafel at Franklin's Table, mingling with my fellow classmates who are coming in from all over the country and even outside of the country to be together for our weekend of class. It's only been three weeks since we were in class last. These distance periods are feeling a little bit more condensed this semester than they were last semester. I think we had like an extra half week. I don't know how that math works out, but it felt like we had a little bit more time in between actual classes in the fall. That said, I've mentioned before here in Happy Class that the pace and assignment structure of this semester feels a lot more aligned for me, a little bit more natural. So I haven't felt super overwhelmed by schoolwork. There is a lot of different pieces, and for the very first time, actually, I got some feedback last week that I had forgotten to do something. It was not a big thing, but I posted a discussion to this discussion board, and the assignment also included following up two days later and commenting on some of the other students' discussion posts. Well, I had posted my discussion and then gone on with my life, and I hadn't remembered or said it. Uh, to do in my calendar to go back and review everyone else's discussions and leave a couple comments. It felt like a very little thing, but also I was proud (laughs) that it was the very first time that I had forgotten to do something (laughs) with all the different things coming and going and so many different classes and different assignments within each class. It's pretty good to miss one small thing 
you know, over the last several months. I'm really excited about going to Philadelphia this weekend. I'm excited about the energy of being in class and learning together in person. I am also hosting, you know, quote unquote, hosting this weekend. I arranged the sleeping accommodations for everyone. I'm in charge of getting reservations at different places on campus and our meal planning and those sorts of things. So in addition to just getting ready to go to class, I also have been carrying the load of hosting in some ways and the logistics of that. So I feel like I've maybe done a little bit of extra like balancing getting ready for class and doing my homework and also making logistical arrangements and thinking about uh, how to have the actual on-site weekend where people are coming in and, and sharing space feel open, warm, exciting, also restful for some of us who maybe it's a treat to be able to just do school and socialize and not fully feel responsible for other people. It's like kind of hilarious as I'm saying that, that I took on the role of literally being responsible in some ways for everyone who's coming by hosting, you know, quote unquote, hosting the weekend. Uh, So maybe I'm not getting as much of a break as everyone else. This whole thing sort of dovetails for me into a lesson that I'm learning outside of school, but in part because of school right now, that even if I want to do something and I may be really good at something or feel competent and skilled and capable, that doesn't mean that I need to do it. I find myself volunteering for things that I'm excited about and I like want to do. And also, sometimes it's okay to be excited and not do it or be excited and feel like it's aligned and also that other people are capable and skilled and maybe hope for an opportunity as well. So just a little side reminder for me that may be relatable to some of you. I know most of my listeners are women, a grand majority of them are moms. And I think sometimes this shows up in our mothering life to think that like we are the best person for the job all the time. We are the one who knows the right things for our children all the time. And so we need to be there at all of the things. We need to be present for all of the activities and all of the homework and all of the choosing things and all of the talks about how things are going. And I don't think that that's healthy or realistic in our parenting as well. I think that being able to accept, acknowledge, and embrace the idea that other people can and should in some ways be involved in these community-driven efforts to take care of all of us, that we're built in community for a reason. We don't have to exist as islands. We can offer and support and encourage other people. And also at times, the wheel will turn and it will fall upon us to be on the receiving end of support, encouragement, and help from others. And it's okay to play both parts of that. We don't always have to be the one taking care of everything and being present all the time. This reminds me of a conversation I had last week with my therapist about being an over-functioner and just in general you can probably relate to the idea just like what immediately comes to mind when you think of whether you would place yourself in the category of an over-functioner where you take charge and you go for things and you manage things and you're you know, the first to kind of step up and raise your hand, or if you're an under-functioner where you are very reluctant to take over things, you're very reluctant to be in charge, you don't really want to do things, you want other people to do the things all the time and to be stepping in and to be managing everything. Of course, this is a spectrum, right? And 
the most healthy place we can be, Aristotle would say, is in the middle, that golden mean of not overusing our skills and, and abilities, not underusing them, but finding that place where we have, I won't say balance because that feels like a loaded mythical word in terms of our life, but where we are able to wholly express both adding value and being valued, as Isaac Prelitensky would say, or where we are able to exist on both sides of giving and receiving, as Adam Grant might share. Interesting thoughts as I head into another school weekend. And then also as I check out for uh, a week and a half, on Monday I leave for a trip to Morocco with my sisters and my mom to celebrate my 40th birthday just a, a couple weeks late. And of course with traveling, especially abroad that far away and a lot of my responsibilities are going to be set down before I go. Of course, they'll be waiting for me when I get back. And I am so excited to experience a break where I can explore new things, invest in my relationships with my sisters, discover a new part of the world that I've been dreaming about for years, and experience life with a different perspective for a while. Speaking of a different perspective, I had an interesting experience this week. As I was doing some homework, I was reading in a book about the VIA character strengths. I've shared a lot about them the last few weeks here on Happy Class and also on my main podcast. As I was reading about the history of how the character strengths came about as sort of an answer to the DSMI, Diagnostic Criteria for Mental Illness, and Abnormal Psychology, the character strengths were sort of the way that researchers were able to answer that with here are some of the things that are abnormal in psychology and here are some of the things that are very healthy, that are not unhealthy, but they are a supportive piece of how we function and our mental health and some of those positive attributes of character. So I'm reading in the textbook about the history of how the character strengths came to be and how when they were researching the original researchers on the character strengths we're really digging up all of the different people who've talked about human strengths from philosophers to scientists to the psychologists of course this is you know the researchers performing all of this deep dive are psychologists themselves and I'm noticing that all of the people that they talk about as like the primary influences on this field are men. And part of this is because I, especially over the last 10 years, I'm really aware of whose voices I'm listening to and whose stories am I learning from. And I was so curious about where the women are. Were there women involved in this process? Were there any women experts who happen to be talking about these same things? And the next sentence mentioned lesser-known Marie Jehoda, who was a doctor of psychology in the 1950s and who actually authored one of the first books on the psychology of positive emotions ever published. I was overjoyed and really interested to learn a little bit more about this woman who would have been one of the mothers of positive psychology and someone who even a decade into my interest in positive psychology and six months into my formal study in a master's program of applied positive psychology was not a name I had heard before. 
So I want to share a little bit about her with you today as I'm learning about her and really interested to continue to learn more about Marie Jehoda. She was born in Vienna to a Jewish family uh, in 1907. She earned her Doctor of Philosophy and Psychology from the University of Vienna and wrote a now classical study of the social impact of unemployment on a small community. During World War II, she lived in England and then arrived in the United States in 1945, where she worked as a professor of social psychology at the New York University and a researcher for the American Jewish Committee in Columbia University. She contributed significantly to the analysis of studies on prejudice. She was a co-editor of the third volume of these studies, which was called Anti-Semitism and Emotional Disorder. And she also went on to found the Research Center of Human Relations. She was recruited by University of Sussex to become a professor of social psychology. And in 1958, she developed the theory of ideal mental health. This was where she identified five categories which were vital to feelings of well-being. These were time structure, social contact, collective effort or purpose, social identity, and regular activity. These five pillars feel eerily similar to some of the foundational principles of modern positive psychology that was founded as a formal field in the late 1990s. A lot of the focus of her work was on unemployment and the unemployed. And she, when she wrote and published this idea of ideal mental health, she also maintained that people who were unemployed were deprived of all five and that it accounted for much of the mental illness among unemployed people. She wrote and spoke about this topic through the 1980s and 90s when unemployment was higher again. And I'm just fascinated to discover a little bit more about this woman who I'm now calling the mother of positive psychology, <laughs> who was really tapped into the idea not only of mental illness and of the, the ways that psychology could be abnormal and need to be brought back to baseline, but of some of the ways that people could build mental health to be ideal, that they could not only recognize what made things go wrong in people's mental well-being, but also what supported things going right and what helped people feel better. Some of these pillars are efficient self-perception, realistic self-esteem and self-acceptance, voluntary control of one's behavior, a true perception of the world, sustaining relationships and giving affection, and self-direction and productivity. I'm excited to share with you about this seemingly really cool woman who I'm excited to learn more about and dive into her book, which I downloaded. It's titled Current Concepts of Positive Mental Health by Marie Jehoda, written in 1958. I can't wait to dive in. Hi there. I'm Rachel, and I'm the host of 3 in 30 Takeaways for Moms, a podcast for women who want to love motherhood as much as they love their children. In each 30-minute episode, my guests and I give three actionable takeaways that will help you make your family life a little better each week. I'd love for you to give us a listen. Listen to 3 in 30 Takeaways for Moms on the iHeart app or wherever you get your podcasts. 